On the telephone is a special guest this morning. It's the director of Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, Hank Worsich. Uh, Hank, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you doing today? Very good. Now, Hank, how would you like us to address you during this hour that we're going to have you on the radio? Uh, probably just as Hank. There Hank. you go. I, I like, like that. that. I, I like, like that, that name. What Hank. else were you thinking that you're going to? Well, uh, director, um, Mr. Yeah. Worsich. Yeah. Depends on how many fines he might be up for. <laughs> well, that's what uh, I was thinking, know, yeah. yeah. Kiss up yeah. to him a little bit. Hank. I've been called, getting called a lot of things, but uh, Hank is fine. Okay. <laughs> Hank, was becoming director of FWP something you always wanted to do, or was this a bit of a surprise when you were nominated to become the director of Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks? You know, it, it was never in my, my grand plan, my vision to be a director. I had uh, worked for the department for many years. I worked with the directors, saw what they did, and I'd actually retired from the department after 17 years working in, in uh, licensing and legislative liaison stuff. And um, when I was asked by people to put in for it, I said, you know, I thought they are just being kind to me. And I said, no, I'm not that crazy. <laughs> and uh, i got to tell you, it, uh, the more and more people had asked me about it to put in, uh, the more and more I thought about it, I thought, yeah, I, I could do this. And I actually, I really, really enjoyed working with the department. I love what they do, and I love working with the people we have, the staff. And it's it's uh, it's a lot of camaraderie, I thought, in there. So I really, yeah, when I had the opportunity, I did put my name in and and uh, went through five interviews and and uh, got uh, selected, nominated, and then uh, got confirmed. So wow. it was a great honor, uh, just a, a real privilege, and it's, I say to a lot of people, it's like being back home again. It's like leaving and coming home. So I really enjoy being at the, with the department again. You know, five interviews. I wish I'd have done that with Downrigger Dale. Yeah, he, he um, made a mistake of not doing yeah. many. Yeah. But one, yeah. He just showed up one day, and he's never <laughs> left. Well, we didn't yeah. have anybody else. Hey, so. As FWP director, I, I have a, a question here. Can you make policy for the organization, or is all the policy set by the commission? Well, it depends on what the policy is. If it's um, if it deals with allocation and stuff like that, then that's definitely the commission. If it's how the, the department is run, that is that is me. Okay. So, uh, case in point on that, I just made some changes. You know, you got to go through the governor's office or anything else, put a proposal together. But we just added um, parks and recreation, hmm. and uh, the idea behind that was to maximize our use of our our. Um, you know, our maintenance teams and different things like that. And we're seeing an increase with recreation, not just uh, the hunting, you know, hooking bullet crowd, but uh, people just using our our resources tremendously. And how do we adjust to, to do that? So I, I developed a parks and recreation division and hired a new person in charge of that. And I think we're going to make some serious headway. I think it'll be, it'll be seen on the ground pretty quick. So, uh, Hank, this is Downrigger. You know, one of the yeah. uh, things I wanted to ask you, and then we're going to get into all of our listener questions, but, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of suggestions from people of, uh, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Uh, but as far as you look at it, if you could just snap your fingers and change one thing about the FWP, what would you do? You know, what, I, what I'd really like to do, sir, is um, I wish I could increase our communication and I mean, by I mean that, I mean the communication within the department, out to the, the people outside the department, the communication coming in, because I think that's just invaluable uh, to, to hear what people have got to say, understand it, and, uh, and, you know, and listen to them and try to make changes as you can. 
and then if you can't explain why. So communication is key. And one of the things I, I, I've done is uh, I did a, I brought my director's office staff and myself, so that's my deputy director, chief of operations, uh, Clinton Kujula, uh, Dustin Temple's deputy director, and Mike Valeski, uh, chief of operations, and De- Becky Doctor is our chief of legal. We went around the state to all seven regions, and we set it up as an open house. So we'd go the night from 5 until 9 and talk to, like, for example, in Billings, the people in Billings and ha- ask any questions they wanted to ask of us. I gave them a little overview of where we were heading and opened it up. And the next morning we did uh, the staff from uh, 8 until noon and then drove on to the next region. We put about 4,200 miles on in three, a little, little uh, under three weeks. Okay. And um, it was impressive to me to see the, the differences within the state and uh, listen to what they had to say. So I'll continue to do that. I want to do that uh, every year. Well, I Let's right. let's get a little of that communication going right now. Here's our first listener question, um, and they ask, why don't hunting tags, particularly B tags, just clearly state the the zones that they're valid for it, itself, right on the tag? For example, like Elk 398 is valid in 360 and 362 in those districts. Why not just print the districts on the B tag itself? Well, that's a, that's a really good question, and it uh, it seems like it should be fairly simple, but it's not, uh, just to print them on it. So part of it is, you know, we've, we've got a, a system that was built in, in 1999, and it's pretty archaic by standards now that we, we did them. And, and we're in the process of going to a new system called XMT that will give us a lot more flexibility. But the ability just to print certain things on a license when we do it in, in mass numbers like that was limited. Uh, the other part of the equation is, Simplification of regulations, and you've probably heard some of this. Um, we started, I've asked all the biologists to look at the regulations from a point of, of what does the biology say we need to do to manage the species? Then look at it and say, what does the public say? You know, can we get broad? Can we have uh, bigger districts? Can we have small? You know, what do we need to do to look at this thing? Because for 17 years, I was hammered all the time saying the regulations are too complex. Right. Well, this this exercise is, and the biologists are doing just a Herculean effort to get this done, but it's something we haven't done before. So actually, the the public will have two bites of the apple to see what the new regulations look like. So the first one's pretty broad. We just had uh, that compiled. Now we're going over that. Then we'll make a recommendation to the commission, and then the commission will send them out for public comment, look at it, and then public comment all over again. But Part of the issue is, like I said, we have we have example like 398. Why do we have it valid for a couple different districts? Why don't we make that a, if it truly wants to be that? Why do we not just have a bigger district? So those are questions we're asking and trying to look at. And also with the XMT coming on, that's going to give us a lot more flexibility. A lot more flexibility. We're going to do the goal on that is in the future to have electronic tags so you can carry your phone and have your basically have your license on your phone, and uh, it'll validate it. when Once you harvest the animal, you, you, you register it, put it in, and it'll tell you where you're hunting and everything else. So oh. we've got a lot of great ideas coming forward with this new system. Several of our listeners responded to our request for questions, and they feel they have a feeling about Montana Fish, Wildlife, Parks giving owners of large, of large ranches bull tags in return for a small number of cow tags for the public. In fact, one listener basically put it this way. It seems there is special treatment, Hank, 
and access given based solely on wealth for a resource that is supposed to be available to all Montanans. Why do it that way instead of just uh, using the block management and damage hunt processes that have been in place? That's a, that's a really good uh, question. I appreciate that question, especially what's going on. And everybody's read the, the paper with the Wilkes Brothers and other issues that have happened recently. Um, this is actually something that's not new. This was put on the books in, in legislature in, in 2001. It was a, a process brought forward by the Private Land Public Wildlife Council. And the idea was to try to gain access for, for people. We had... Uh, Basically, for that period of time, since 2001, we had two landowners that would participate in this. And what it was at that time was they would get one permit uh, for allowing four people with the same permit to hunt only on their deeded property. And once again, these are only for deeded property is the only place these people can hunt with these licenses or permits. Um, A few years later, because the numbers hadn't gone up, we've only had two landowners participate the Private Land Public Wildlife Council tried to add to it that they would get a license and a permit. Well, that changed, and we got one more person doing it. Um, And every time I would go in front of the commission and talk about this, they'd always ask, why are we not doing more of these, doing more of these? Well, during this last session, at the the close of it, um, there was a modification to this bill that was out there. We we called it a House Bill 454 bill. And what it did is it, it said one to three, and instead of the one to four, and they could pick one of the three. So that changed it, and the pendulum has swung. And now we've had, where we've had two over many, many years, I think we've had uh, 12 or 13 so far this year. And we're, we should be done with them now because the season's already going. Okay. But what it does is it allows and opens up property that has been closed before. And it's a way to try to get access in the public and and, um, private lands. Did the number of bull tags that were given to landowners and draw only districts reduce the number of bull tags that the general public could draw for? No, it does not. It uh, it doesn't lower the number, but one is taken from that uh, from that above and beyond that quota. So if someone takes an area, they get they get one tag from that. The other people that hunt on that have to been have been successful in drawing that tag or per- permit. Okay, good. Now, uh, good. Hank, you wanted to good. finish up what you were saying on uh, uh, about giving those uh, tags to landowners. Go ahead and finish that up. Yeah, it's, uh, the hardest part is threading that needle between the, the public resource and the private property rights. And I appreciate all the efforts that I listened to the, the, some of the comments you guys make on on working with landowners to get that uh, that access, and that's that's what we want, we want to work on. You know, the, the part of the question says, why do we do this instead of block management, damage hunts, and things? Well, it's one of many programs we have for access, and it goes back to that communication thing again. Uh, we need to relay this and have people understand, both landowners and the and the public, that there are other additional ways of getting access to the private lands and into public lands. So. Um, there, we need to do a better job of um, explaining that and communicating that. So we'll be working on that. Uh, this is Don Rager. We're talking to uh, Hank Warsich, uh, uh, FWP director. Now, Hank, you know, since you joined the FWP as a director in January, uh, do you have any plans that you're you're working on right now to increase uh, access for for hunters? 
Yeah, we're gonna. We've got a new PLPW that the Private Lands Public Wildlife Council has been been appointed. Some some new members on that, and we worked on that. They work on a lot of access issues, and um, like I said, once again, we went, we want to educate the people on what we have, and and that's landowners and the public, and try to get more of those. But there's also ideas to try to um, bring groups together and and talk about ideas about this, because what I found out is. You may be on polar opposites until you come together and talk about it and find you have a lot more in common. And I think these are things that we can we can actually come up with some good solutions and and accommodate both the landowners and and the public getting access. And uh, we you know we tried to do that at the session last time with House Bill 505. And I, I think we'll continue working on things like that. So yes, we've got some good ideas in the works. Good stuff. Hey, Hank, this is Denny. Uh, some listeners voice concern about hunter overcrowding in popular areas. Um, asked why there's not more of a limit to non-residents in these areas so residents have more success and have less competition for the, the same animals. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So um, just so the listeners understand, the number of non-residents that come into the state for B10 and B11 license, which are big game combo and deer combos, and then landowner are set by statute. There's 17,000 B10, 4,600 B11, which are deer combination, and 2,000 landowner sponsored license. And the landowner sponsored only uh, good on on the needed land that the landowner owns. So these are these are set by statute um, as far as the numbers. And it's funny that the overcrowding I hear it um, depends on what region you're at because it's not necessarily non-residents. When I was in Region Six, they you know, somebody with a Kalispell license plate is almost like a non-resident in their area. <laughs> yeah, so, true. Yeah. It, you know, you get used to having this thing. And uh, I, I, when I was in Region 6, I gave Andrew McKean a little bit of uh, flack. I said, the reason these pieces are popular is because you're writing about them and telling everybody how good they are. <laughs> so it's uh, we've got we've got something that everybody wants to have. And, you know, unfortunately, more and more people are, are wanting to come here. And people are moving all over the state to hunt in different places. Wanted to uh, shift gears to elk shoulder season. Another uh, listener question about why we do elk shoulder seasons on public land. What wasn't the original idea of shoulder season based on dealing with overpopulation of elk on uh, on private land? Yeah, that's exactly what it was set up for. The the difference was this last commission had a, a question and they they put it in there and they want to see. We, the whole key is we have overpopulation. Well, as we've learned, when you shoot on them in private land, they go into public land. And if you can't hunt them on public land, they stand there and look at you. And so what, we, what they've tried to do, what the commission asked for, is this is this season just to try it in a few areas to see if that helped with the overpopulation of elk if we had a better, better, better harvest. So the, it, I know it wasn't popular, but the idea was to try to find out some information. Would it make a difference or not? And um, I believe this whole thing will probably be looked at in the future, shoulder seasons and, and everything else, and maybe a, a different way of structuring our seasons with the new commission. All right, we're talking to Hank Warsich, the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Director. Are you and other officials of Montana concerned that the federal government, such as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, will take over management of wolves in Montana, especially given the recent legislation passed concerning the harvest of wolves in Montana? If not, uh, why do you feel that uh, that will not happen? Well, it, it's always a concern wondering what the, the federal government will do on, on things like this. 
But um, in a meeting we had with uh, the, the three states and, and Martha Williams, who's now at, uh, at the Fish and Wildlife Service, um, talked about it. And the states got a good report on how they were managing the wolves from the feds uh, a couple of years ago. Well, now with these changes, and, and everybody's concerned about this and being more aggressive on the harvest of wolves, um, you know, there's some concerns about it. <clears throat> but um, I don't think that's going to that's gonna happen because what it is is that the numbers are set to, to look more aggressive, but it's really 100 more wolves or 150 more wolves than we've harvested in the past. We set that check in at 450, and the commission can look at it once we hit that number to see if we're too aggressive or not. So it's not going to bring the numbers down below um, there, there's going to be any harm to the animals. So once again, it's a, the biology versus the quota and the social part of it. So the biology, and I've talked to biologists, we're not doing harm to the, the, the wolf numbers. Yeah. Uh, they're going to sustain them. Um, but it's basically the quota, and some people like the quota and some don't. So whenever you do anything in this department, you're going to have half the people mad at you no matter what you do. Right. So. It's one of those one of those things, but uh, it is a species in need of management, and they have, we have a requirement to manage them. So that's what we're doing. Okay, uh, this is Downringer uh, talking with uh, Hank Worsich, director of the FWP. Uh, now, Hank, here's a question that a lot of listeners asked uh, that sent in. They said uh, that a lot of them feel the public comment process has little effect on the final decision. Now, when the FWP asks for public uh, comment on issues, how much weight do those comments have on the final decision that the, that the commission and yourself have? So, that's, that, once again, that's a really good question. That came up a lot when I was uh, out talking to the public. And, you know, it, <clears throat> let me straighten one thing out. is It's not a popularity contest. Right. So... The, it's not a weighted public response or anything. So the way I, I laid this out to the, the people I talked to was imagine yourself as a commissioner and you're getting all this information on a topic and you've got 300 handwritten letters talking specifically about the topic and 4,000 emails coming in saying, for example, you shouldn't trap nothing to a topic. How do you weigh those out? And, you know, how, how do you look and make a decision on you try to make a decision based on something you can move the needle with? And, you know, this whole public comment process, like I said, there's a new process I've asked for as the biologist to go out and ask what they can do for the, for the season setting and then bring that information back. And I will tell you, we're looking at all the comments right now and bringing it forward, and, and the commission will look at the comments. They do look at them. But a lot of people just think, well, there's so many people against it, and why did they vote the other way? Well, they're looking at other reasons, and they're looking at it holistically trying to do the best thing they can. Okay, Hank, so, uh, does additional tags allotted for outfitters during the 2021 legislature require the hunter, hunter to hunt with an outfitter? And uh, if not, why? Yeah, that is my understanding is that it is required to hunt with that outfitter. Matter of fact, um, when we issued those, there was a long process. We had to go through and verify that they were and actually put in for an outfitter, had a contract with them, and then were unsuccessful in the drawing before we could issue that tag to them. So it was restricted to that hunt with the outfitter, is my understanding. Okay. Now, uh, I got a, quite a few listeners that, that ask about this. They have concerns with people staying overnight at boat launches. And what happens is that often fills up the parking spots, thus 
there's no room for day users to launch their boat and park. Does the FWP have any plans to address that and, and or you know increase uh, patrols to make sure this doesn't happen? Yeah, it kind of goes back to that what I talked about before that parks and recreation is to help with that. And you know we do have quite a few fishing access sites that have camping on them, launch sites and fishing access sites. And the issue is exactly that is making sure that we keep the area to, to launch that's clear and open and, and and provide the ability for people to do both. Uh, so yes, we'll, we will continue to work on that to try to get that done. But uh, that's kind of the reason I put together this maintenance group and with the parks and recreation because before we had we had maintenance for parks, we had parks uh, maintenance for fisheries, maintenance for wildlife management areas. They're all now all together, and they can all work inter- interchangeably and uh, work on these things. Okay, uh, one final question for you, Hank. What should hunters do with their harvest game animals while waiting for their CWD test results to come back? So that's a really good question, and, and we get quite a bit of that. So you can process your animal while you wait for the test results to come back. And if you're taking the animal to a processor, you consider telling the processor that you're, wait, you're having the animal tested for CWD. And if the animal came from a CWD-positive area, the CDC recommends not consuming unless it tests negative. And also understand that if an animal tests positive, you can dispose of the meat, contact FWP, and get a replacement license. Okay, perfect. Okay, great. Hank, we appreciate you spending time with us. We'll have to do this again. We've yes, had- sir. I really do appreciate it. And that's... Like I said, it goes back to basic communication. Anything we can get the word out, I appreciate it. All right. Hank Warsitz, the uh, Montana Fish Rod Line Parks Director, right here on yeah. the Montana Outdoor Radio Show. Let's do this again for sure, Hank. We really appreciate yeah. it. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it, too. All right. And thanks for serving our country, by the way. Yeah. All right. Not a problem.